1: The Slate Political GabFest is brought to you by Goldman Sachs. Get information about developments currently shaping markets, industries, and the global economy on the firm's podcast, Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, available on iTunes. And by Harry's, the shaving company that offers German-engineered blades, well-designed handles, and shipping right to your door. Visit harrys.com for $5 off your first purchase with the promo code GABFEST. And by Concur, Employees get simplified expense reports and business leaders get full visibility into their company's spending habits. Expense, travel, invoice. Learn more at concur.com/gabfest. And by Ring, with Ring video doorbell you can see and speak to anyone at your door from anywhere in the world using your smartphone. Political Gabfest listeners get free expedited FedEx shipping when you go to ring.com/gabfest. With Ring Video Doorbell, you're always home. The following podcast contains explicit language. Wow. Hello, and welcome to the Slate Political Gap Fest for April 28th, 2016, the live from Georgia edition of the Gap Fest. We are joined by a huge crowd. Or as we like to say, that's a huge, that's a huge, that's a huge crowd. At the First Center in downtown Atlanta, I'm David Plotz of Atlas Obscura. I'm joined on stage. To my far left is the man who puts the face in Face the Nation, John Dickerson. Hello, John. And to my near left is, of course, Emily Bazelon of The New York Times, which for you... Atlantans the New York Times is like the Atlanta Journal Constitution but with Paul Krugman. <laughs> on this week's Gabfest Donald Trump sweeps the Northeast primaries on Tuesday night while Ted Cruz tries to pull a Carly Fiorina shaped rabbit out of an Indiana shaped hat. <laughs> then has Hillary Clinton locked up the nomination. How should she prepare to face Donald Trump in the general election? Then, the presidential campaign process seems like literally the worst possible way to decide who would be a good president. We are going to figure out better ways. What tests should we give to candidates to determine who will make an actually good president? And, of course, we'll have cocktail chatter, and Slate Plus will do... Uh, your questions and our answers. If you are not yet a Slate Plus member, you can get Slate Plus by going to slate.com slash gabfest plus. And one announcement, which is going to seem weird because you guys can't probably go to this show, but I want to announce a show that we're doing on July 13th in Washington, they D.C. Could come. They could come. You could come. They're You're people. all invited. You're all invited, definitely, <laughs> in Washington, D.C. at the Warner Theater. It'll be fun. It'll be right before the conventions. And you can go to slate.com slash live to get tickets. We come to you on a big night after months of uncertainty. The campaign seems to have almost, almost settled. Donald Trump rollicked through the Northeast primaries this week, sweeping all before him, like Conan the Barbarian. He is (laughs) happiest when he crushes his enemies, sees them driven before him, and hears the lamentations of their women. And after winning all five primaries on Tuesday night, he declared that he thought it was over. So, John, is it over?
0: He not only declared it, he declared that he was the presumptive nominee. So that's uh, which he he, is it's,
1: presumptuous.
0: It is, but he, but he has been presumptuous all along. So, in the sense that he's broken all existing boundaries. Uh, but I think if you, to be the presumptive nominee, it's like a nickname. I don't think you can give it to yourself.
2: But if you're Donald Trump, then you do give <laughs> well, it to Well, I yourself. mean, if you're that's Donald t- yeah, yeah, no, clearly,
0: gonna... you're right. No, you're clearly right. And he is basically the presumptive nominee because I think... Uh, well, first of all, let's deal with just the math. He did better than anybody would have expected. He won every single district in which he was competing against politicians. Remember that ceiling that some people used to talk about? Who did talk about that ceiling? He had someone must have so
2: confident about that ceiling. Someone
0: must have talked about that ceiling once before. But so he had a ceiling of thirty-five percent support. Well, he like that ceiling. It's now it's a gorgeous tall ceiling with a beautiful with I a, a yeah more. with a with with a skylight and gilt frame. Anyway, he got you know. High 50s, low 60s, everywhere he performed. He outperformed what he was supposed to do in New York. So if he, so now. He could get the 1,237 majority delegates that he needs, which is what you referred to when you said there might not be an open convention, in part because, and these will be the the fun ones to watch, there were 54 uncommitted delegates in Pennsylvania who can vote for whomever they want. So if, if Trump didn't get the 1,237, if he falls short of that, he could use the 54 uncommitted delegates in Pennsylvania to get across the threshold. Those delegates have said they'll vote by their congressional district, and so if that's the case, then he'll probably pick up at least 30-some-odd from that. Also, in the exit polls, seven in ten Republicans said in Pennsylvania, whoever has the plurality of delegates going into the convention should get the nomination even if they don't have the majority. So the strong signal being sent from the state. Seven
1: in ten also said they thought Muslims should be banned from America. that's,
0: but that's been true in all, in I think every state. It's either been seven ten or six and ten. So even the states he lost. I mean, if you want to go down this road, so seven and ten say Muslim immigrants should be banned from the United States. But in a lot of those states, six and ten say there should be a path to citizenship for undocumented workers. So that's an interesting uh, complexity in the in the uh, exit polls. Anyway, he's rolling nicely. The Stop Trump movement is kind of flaccid and not doing anything so um, it's a uh,
2: and even, even Kasich and Cruz saying we're going to make a deal Kasich won't contest Indiana mostly that was to give Cruz Indiana as sort of a last way of holding off Trump and even that seemed like it, Kasich didn't really mean it it
0: blew up on the launch pad because, yeah. so the problem in talking to Kasich voters uh, is that they
1: said that it it's hard to find them uh, <laughs>
2: We can't be reached, we don't hear a message.
0: Is that they said, I don't want to vote for Ted Cruz. The problem is when you say to somebody, act against what's natural, which is voting for the person you like, act, vote in this case for the person you don't like, and Cruz voters don't like Kasich at, e- at all either. So if you're gonna make them do that, the only way you can create a common cause is if you say, this danger is particular and acute. And though people have said that at times about Donald Trump, they didn't say it when they made this new pitch. And they was asking them to act, to act strategically. Voters don't really do that.
2: And voters don't even really listen all the time either. The idea that everybody would get that message. That's what has, I mean. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They don't,
0: like, people want to vote for the person they love and whose ideas they care about and because they care about the country for all these great noble reasons. They don't, like, try and do these bank shots.
1: Emily, so on May 3rd, next Tuesday, we have the Indiana primary, and there's a lot of speculation that if Donald Trump wins this, he will get to. Twelve thirty-seven. Is that your is that your sense about?
2: Yeah, because he's close, and because of momentum. I mean, as I understand it, if he wins Indiana, then California is the big remaining prize. He's been up in the polls consistently in California, and it would seem to me that if he wins Indiana, it will make it easier for him to win. In the same way that winning New York helped him do so well in our. Passover primary or Acela primary, whatever it was, <laughs> whatever it was yes. yesterday.
0: Uh, he passed over and dominated the entire area.
2: <laughs> certainly true in it my is. state of so, Connecticut. I think it was
1: more the smiting of the firstborn, <laughs> really.
0: Here's why.
2: Smearing uh of blood.
1: Locusts, hail frogs.
2: Frogs, boils. Blood.
0: <laughs>
1: Cattle. Cattle disease.
0: So here's why I think. Darkness. <laughs> Even if he doesn't win on the first ballot, he will have arrived with, you know, winning by then more than 25 states. He will have the vast majority of, of the delegates. And he already has passed the threshold. So he has won 10 million votes. That's that's the total number that Romney got at the end of all of his um, races. So he will surpass Romney. McCain only got 9,600,000. Bush got 12. So he might get to where Bush was uh, or he's actually maybe likely to spass once we get through California what Bush got in 2000. So he's doing just fine.
1: So uh, big news is, of course, that Ted Cruz has selected Carly Fiorina as his presumptive running mate. And it's a kind of. That's just not. Everyone, what? Wow. That is what
2: happened. <laughs>
0: this is, this uh, is not going to win him does, the it, retroactive it, Georgia primary. It, it, it does, does
2: not. Not in this room.
1: It does feel like his sort of second desperation move of the week, the Kasich, the Kasich alliance being the first. It also has that air of sort of, I feel like it's almost like one of those Applebee's menus where you're getting more, you're getting really more than you want for I, not very much. Huh. But Emily, you're a woman. So you're now going to support, you'll now support uh, Ted Cruz because of Carly Fiorino.
2: Well, he had my vote anyway. Um, so I come- I mean, I hear you and this seems like too weird and, and not, is not really going to make a difference. However, why not have someone else campaigning with you, someone else to share the um, burden, yeah. <laughs> the exciting opportunity of convincing voters to vote for you? It starts. To, I actually started feeling like, why doesn't everybody do this? Pick their vice president early enough. I mean, the problem with it is that when you do it after the convention or during the convention or whatever, the normal thing is, you get a bump at a moment where more voters are presumably actually tuning in. But well, I kind of thought there was something totally sensible about this, even though it seemed risible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that very small category of things that are sensible and risible. The
2: Venn diagram. Yeah. The old sensible, risible. yeah. The Gabfest. Fest.
0: Um, as so, David said, the previous gambit to this was—it felt like one of those Sandlot football things where the person who's playing quarterback like designs the play on their chest. That was the—that was the weird sort of.
2: I've seen people do that. Yeah. I never know what to do afterwards. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Well, neither did Kasich and Cruz. Um, <laughs> so that felt like the first version of this. This feels similar. Um, so the reason to do it now is you get a little news. You you try to stop people talking about Donald Trump's devastating victories, and you try and switch the conversation to you. That's fine. But he's going to have to make a case to the delegates, presumably, at an open convention if we get that far. And one of the big chits he could have played was, here I'm bringing in this other person. Now, Ronald Reagan tried that in 1976. It was a huge disaster. He picked Richard Schweiker, who was a moderate, tried to get the Pennsylvania delegates to come his way. He didn't get a single Pennsylvania delegate. And then he pissed off all the conservatives who said, why are you picking a moderate who doesn't believe any of the things you believe? And he ended up to, actually, totally undermined his candidacy. So,
2: can we just take a moment to say how odd it is to think that choosing Carly Fiorina would improve your chances of being elected? She was super unpopular. Well, right. I mean, he's on. trying to
0: get elected in the Republican primary, not but in the New also, Haven Basalon oh, household. Also, thank you.
2: He's also <laughs> trying to get elected in the general election, and she. I mean,
0: come I, on. Think he's tr- I think he's just trying to get he's the party's nomination the, but first.
2: He's, he, I mean, imagine some world in which it's not like what. Then he just like throws her overboard. He's saddled well, with no, her in the general. But too. I think,
0: well, I mean, look, She's he is. A, she, a man. He got one delegate Tuesday night, so he is in a desperate straits here. Uh-huh. Um,
1: she, she was not a. Uh... She was not she has a great a of- presidential candidate. She but
0: didn't she was-
2: do well. She completely screwed up Hewlett-Packard. She's not someone who is, like, warm and fuzzy and people, Here's you know, thing, are drawn to. And but the she, thing is, her business record is really that. But
0: think about it if you're a Republican. I mean, he's trying to convince delegates. So what he's trying to say is, I am ideologically on your side on the following 50 issues. Donald Trump has changed a
1: billion times.
0: And I have this person who's been a CEO and who is competent.
2: Really? Her record at Hewlett-Packard is so questionable. Well, that will be
1: something that people will attack her in a campaign. But it's...
2: Well, I, but I would she think... She was but, the but CEO they don't, they don't like, her. stop at competent and gag on whatever they're
0: drinking. So you're, you're saying you're not going to be a Cruz delegate from Connecticut. <laughs> So, uh, but the be people who are actually doing the voting don't have that reaction, and they would see this as, oh, okay, it's a it's a package. It's got the ideological, it's got the execution piece of the presidency, and she can take on Hillary Clinton because they think that she has the ability to take her the
1: own.
2: The last let's, part I like that.
1: Part. Let's um, talk about the more realistic scenario, which is that Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. Um, and how weird is that? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, but. I mean, humans are capable of adjusting to all kinds of things. You, I mean, people find ways to reconcile themselves with all sorts of horrors. And what is the process by which this Republican party, the, the significant portion of which has, has declared Donald Trump an anathema, uh, you know, has a- acknowledged that he is an appalling, belligerent, you know, prejudiced bully who does not represent much good in the world. How is that reconciliation process going to happen? I guess one question is, John, what, is there still talk of we're going to run a third-party conservative candidate?
0: No, because they can't get on the ballot in, in any of the—I mean, unless you did a—unless uh, you ran a candidate simply to deny—to undermine Trump in the general election. So you try and get them on the ballot in the purple states that are still—where that's still possible. I'm not even sure how many of that those that well, is.
1: It wouldn't be to undermine Trump in the general election. It would be to help Republican Senate candidates. In well, you could Republican imagine the Republican congressional I mean, candidates in the election. You could imagine people, you're going to turn out people who otherwise might not vote, and they will vote for Republican. Right, presidential candidates.
0: Right, yes, that, there, that. But also, you would do it to undermine him in them because if you ran a presidential candidate in a purple state, he, he would get votes that would presumably otherwise go to Trump. So you would be undermining him in those states as well, as a way of as a way of keeping him from the presidency. But I don't think it doesn't feel like there's much energy in that cause anymore. It was a lot of hot, there was a lot of hot talk about six weeks ago about all these things that were going to happen that never really happened. And one of the things that did happen is that he totally manhandled the entire Republican field and establishment. I mean, as an, as an act of political skill, he has, he, we haven't seen anything like this. I mean, even Barack Obama had to fight harder uh, and Barack Obama was a pretty amazing politician in his party. Donald Trump has totally schooled the entire Republican party repeatedly. He's left them like there is no alternative approach to him as we've seen. Emily,
1: how are they going to,
0: I
2: think they're gonna come on in one at a time. You know, people are gonna sort of walk this walk of shame (laughs) right behind Chris Christie in the way that he did. Not everybody. There are going to be some holdouts. There are going to be people whose intellectual bona fides depends on remaining staunchly opposed and they'll stay out. But there are going to be a lot of people who can make an argument that for the good of the Republican party, they need to make this candidacy as good as it can be. I mean, I, his campaign manager and the campaign people he has brought in um, who, you know, were previously, working for scott walker had like much more standard republican resumes and profiles they're gonna pave the way and and a lot of people will make their peace with it
0: yeah it'll be an interesting i mean there will be an interesting conversation about the difference between the republican party and conservatism because people who are conservatives the way people who are liberals they actually believe in stuff you know and they organize their life around a certain set of beliefs and donald trump is not in concert with those beliefs in any way. And so I'm not sure those people will come along.
2: I also think you can make, maybe principled is a strong word to use, but you can make a very pragmatic argument for getting in line with Trump once he's the nominee, which is, I want my conservatism to win the presidency. And i if I stand with this person and get him to promise certain things, he's going to move toward me and my views and then we'll end up with a, more, a better and more conservative presidency if he wins.
0: Also, if Hillary Clinton gets to name three people to the Supreme Court, I, my conservative beliefs are going to be shredded. So well, that's right. a pretty good right. And Conservatives
2: too. are really good at remembering that in a way <laughs> that liberals yeah. sometimes yeah. forget about.
1: So we've talked about Ted Cruz's running mate. Who is Donald Trump's running mate likely to be? I mean, he, Chris Christie is lying, is sort of standing in that role, but that's kind of doubling down crazy. on the bully, on the like, n- on the white guy bully. Um,
2: it won't be clear. They they've already enough. kind
1: of cornered that market.
2: Yeah. Who,
1: who is? Who do you think? Uh, who are credible candidates for that role?
0: You remember earlier when I was talking about the ceiling he had at thirty-five <laughs> percent. I think my ability to predict what he's going to do is pretty uh,
2: It should be a woman. He would be I mean, really smart of him to pick a woman. I'm not sure who it is, other than his daughter but or his sister.
1: <laughs> not constitutionally eligible. Right. Too young.
2: Problem. Um, but there's got to be some some lovely lady out there who will stand hmm. by her man. I think that's right. Other than right. Sarah I think, Palin, who that just seems no, ridiculous. No, but I think,
0: I think you're right. I think from not not from politics i think that he would
2: uh right he can go to any sector any right you that'll can be ima- yeah. the military you who in the what right.
0: Female no that, now you're thinking officer. now you're thinking there you're, must
2: be some list of them
0: yeah you i think you're exactly right i think i think that he could very easily since he he also he has a sense of the moment and the show and what he needs to fix. I mean, he's, his unfavorables with women are at seventy percent.
2: Yeah, he really needs That's to pick a
0: woman now. How it would work and all that would be interesting to watch. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what do you mean he's so pro women? Well, no, just no, I'm saying be- that.
0: No, no. What I mean is we've seen in the last two weeks as he's brought on new staff and um, his new campaign managers talked about how he's going to modify his behavior. And then Trump has explicitly out loud said, I don't want to modify. I don't want to change. So when you run as a team, how do you run as a team?
1: And that's what I mean.
2: Well, everybody, I mean, whoever he picks, that's going to be a major challenge for.
1: And now let's hear from a sponsor this week, which is Harry's.com. Have you ever asked yourself why razors in the drugstore are locked inside a plexiglass case? It's because razors are so overpriced that people would rather steal them. Good razors cost too much, which is why Harry's was created. Gaffest listeners know I have been a loyal and happy Harry's customer for a couple of years. Their razors are wonderfully priced. They last a good long time, and they give a great close shave, and I love my orange handle, too. With Harry's, you're getting factory direct prices because they cut out the middleman and ship right to your door. Harry's Starter Set is a great option for new customers and an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German-engineered razors. And as a special offer to our listeners, Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code GABFEST. Go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com and make sure you use the code GABFEST at checkout to let them know we sent you. Hillary Clinton also had a strong night on Tuesday. She beat Bernie Sanders in four or five states and added to her delegate lead. It is now, I think, and John will correct me if I'm wrong, it is now mathematically impossible for Bernie Sanders to uh, overtake her in pledged delegates or to win a majority of pledged delegates. Um, But is Bernie Sanders giving up, Emily?
2: No, he is not giving up. He has promised to march on to the convention, though he did lay off... Hundreds of staff. Who even knew that he had that many people? But he did say that now he's really focusing on California. Um, so what does he want out of this exactly? Is this about, what I, is this about? Is there a concrete, like, ask at the end of this road? Or is this just about, like, I, Bernie Sanders, of having my moment in history and I am making the most of it?
0: Yes, uh, so I guess just a couple of things I was looking up here. The, the, um, so it's been a little hard to read him in the last couple of days because his top strategist, Tad Devine, said they're going to reevaluate after Tuesday night. And then Tuesday night happened, as people thought. And he came out and, he, and his um, speech that night in West Virginia, he didn't attack Hillary Clinton explicitly or implicitly. He didn't talk about big money. He didn't talk about— uh, He was
2: being olive branchy.
0: Well, yes, and he was also talking about childhood poverty and addiction and all of the issues that don't get discussed. And you could imagine, upon watching him there, think, like, okay, he's going to continue on through California, but he's going to be sort of the sidecar to the Hillary campaign. And that's fine. She's down with that. He's not going to be an obstacle. But then uh, he released a statement that was notable, I thought, in two ways. One, it says, I'm in it to win it, which is the phrase that Hillary Clinton used in 2008. So... Didn't work out so well. That for worked her. out well. So well, but what that what's I think at play there is a little. Hey, she went all the way to the convention, well, so stop trying to get not
2: well positioned. To call yeah, him on this one. exactly. So
0: there's a little of that going on there, and then he said basically he's going to keep fighting, and then he explicitly, I believe this is for the first time, said basically that he hopes the super delegates change their mind and give him the nomination. It's still not going to. I mean, still almost impossible this scenario but nevertheless he's relying on the superdelegates having a massive change of mind leaving Hillary Clinton and coming to him and what's interesting about that is there are many of his supporters who often write to me and who've written editorials and so forth saying superdelegates are the worst thing ever they're undemocratic they're horrible They're his entire campaign now relies on them
1: see well he's also making so this goes. he's also making this claim emily that he's the stronger general election candidate based He's on some won. polling right. well based on some polling data which suggests that he would run stronger against a cruiser trump in general that i mean I, that seems fallacious to me for all kinds of reasons um but i'm giving you the chance to
2: Explain to, to, to give those be. reasons i mean the thing about bernie sanders and those poll numbers is that one imagines that still many people in the country don't quite have a handle on who he is, what he stands for, and that it would be easy for a Republican Canada to make him seem like a pretty fringe candidate. And then he would be having to rely on his kind of populist appeal to overcome that. Seems like a big stretch in lots of parts of the country that are not the state of Vermont. I mean, he also can say, though, that he's won more independent and Republican voters in these primaries than Hillary Clinton. That seems like a very odd measure, though, because that's such a particular slice of people who, in the primaries, either cross over or become, you know, vote for... And there are only certain states where you can do that as an independent or a Republican, so that didn't seem super compelling to me. Right.
1: Let's uh, switch to Hillary for a bit. What is... um John, what, what do you get the sense uh, she's planning for the general in terms of Trump? What, what is their line of attack going to be against him?
0: I mean, there's the planned attacks that she'll make. There are the attacks that she'll try to do in the moment. And then there's what the super PACs will do. What she will plan to do is what she's already done a little bit, which is she's talked about, you know, you live in these big buildings with your name on them. You have no idea what's happening in America and get him into a fight about um sort of regular people and have her be the champion for people whose uh, wages have been stagnant and kind of, it's her version of the Of the Sanders case, but using Trump's wealth against him. So that's one thing. Then when he said Hillary Clinton would only be at 5% if she were a man and that she's only gotten as far as she has because she's a woman. Soon thereafter, I got a text from the campaign, um, which, uh, said, uh, raising money off of that. So saying to all people who are, um, to all people who are in the, you know, in the Hillary whatever, text, um, list. We need a president who will actually fight for women rather than dismissing them. Agree question mark chip in $1. So the reason this is obvious probably to all of you, but the reason they want just a dollar is they don't want the money. They want the person's, you know, the communication to begin because once that communication begins, they'll be on their lap until November. Um, so, uh, and then the third thing is what the super PACs will do, and they've been running focus groups. The Hillary-aligned um, super PACs have been running focus groups on Trump for months and months, figuring out the most painful attacks against him, and they'll run
1: those constantly. And do you, have you been leaked any sort of signals about what those most painful attacks would He be. has
0: a long history of, of saying things about women that I think a lot of uh, women... I mean,
2: it's going to be quite the audio-video.
0: Yeah. I mean, his, conversation. conversations, <laughs> his conversations his alo- conversations with Howard Stern alone are... Uh... Yeah, and then I sounds... think... And, yeah. I, and, I, and then the, his mimicking the disabled New York Times reporter is I think something that we'll hear a and, lot about.
1: Emily, why would that stuff... I mean, he's just proven an absolute master of shrugging that kind of stuff off in the primary, and it's a different set of voters, but why do we think he won't be able to do that in the general?
2: I mean, just we, we have these unfavorables and we're imagining they're going to stick, although I think the lesson of the Ceiling rising is that those unfavorables, at least in the Republican Party, didn't right. prove to be enduring, and so the question is going to be if he can overcome them, and also if he'll be able to go on the attack against Hillary in a way that will bring her down without also bringing him down. He does seem to be um, singular in his ability to take other people down without destroying himself. Right? There well, he's been a in it, couple- but it's.
0: Well, as you say, it's the neighborhood he's in. I mean, he's able to, you can build a high rise in Manhattan. You can't build one in like Montgomery right. County, and going Pennsylvania. After I after mean,
2: Carly Fiorina didn't do well for him, right? There was a moment where.
0: She's, she, I mean, worked out fine for him, yeah. In the end,
2: right. But, but I think in see- the general,
0: in the general, you, I, I, we just don't know. All
1: right. Now let's hear from our next sponsor this week, which is Concur. Running a business is hard work. I know this. And keeping your employees happy is crucial to ensure success. That's why there's Concur. Only Concur offers simple and intuitive expense reporting tools that benefit both your employees and your business. With Concur, employees can create expense reports that practically write themselves. All they have to do is take a photo of their receipt, and Concur creates and categorizes the expense entry. As an employer, you get accurate, consolidated spending data instantly giving you the visibility and the insight to drive cost savings. Happier employees, more productivity, and the data you need, all leading to a healthier bottom line. Expense, travel, invoice. Learn more at concur.com gabfest. Let's move on to our next topic. So the presidential primary process, as we have seen vividly this year, seems like a pretty terrible way to choose a leader of the country. Ted, Cruz's, Ted Cruz has this college roommate who, is, who has spent much of the campaign just tweeting vicious things about Ted Cruz. But one of the things he tweeted was that he said he would rather choose a random person for, from the phone book to be president than, than his Ted Cruz. Um, Which so the, is
0: a modification of William Buckley's old line about he trusts the people in, the what was it, the Boston phone book more than all the, of Congress? Yeah. Harvard yep. than the Harvard than the faculty of Harvard
1: so the primary process rewards the ability to to give a speech to hit strangers up for money to participate in these very stilted uh, televised so-called uh, debates but they're not really anything like the actual job that you're going to do now there's one case made that that says oh if you're able to run a campaign effectively that suggests you're a good executive and that that is a test and so that that the actual things you're doing the campaign and the the debates don't really matter but your just ability to be a to be a good a good campaign manager suggests you might be a good executive but you could also argue that like you know if we just Picked our president by SAT score, or by how well they did on Jeopardy, or uh, you know, a game of Twister. You might get just as good a result. But so John—they already they play interest- a
0: game of Twister. What's they John already play a game yeah. of Twister. Twister they're,
1: they're playing Twister. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So John had this. John had this idea. The problem in the, Republican, pro- the Republican primary is all just like right arm, right leg. They never get left. Right you can't. Button. You can't do. They're just like
2: right toenail.
1: John had this idea we should we should come up with
2: A better test. Better test.
1: So what is it that we could give to our presidential candidates that would be a better test for the actual job of being president? And so we assigned ourselves this task and we each have, I think, some ideas. Yeah,
0: and so and the I think a part of this task is we're as we're coming up with it right now as the show is going on.
2: You're adding more uh, is the that uh,
0: there are totally implausible tests. In other words, the candidates would never admit oh, would yeah. never ex- For, yeah. yeah okay. no, no, and no
2: reality so, allowed on the the, stage anymore.
0: How many people know what the Kobayashi Maru is? Yes. <laughs>
2: Those oh, are John's people oh no. in the audience. Uh, I now had I'm no I'm going to try and idea. explain
0: it. All right, so I think the Kobayashi Maru was in the Starfleet Academy. Uh, captain? Or anyway, uh, cadets? No, they must have been higher than cadets. Anyway, we're put in this simulator where you had to go rescue the Kobayashi Maru, which was in neutral territory? Neutral zone. thank you. In the neutral zone, which going into the neutral zone would have been a violation <laughs> call, of... Can you call me in like 15 minutes when you're done with yeah. on this? <laughs> would have incited a Klingon attack, and then what happens is, uh, the minute you go to rescue the ship, you, get a, you blow up and you die. So it's an unsolvable problem, but the, the idea is how you solve it is, uh, tells you something about you, and if you're James Kirk, you rewrite the software to fix it, and you get um, an award for creativity. So, uh, so we need to come up with that for uh, the candidates. So what was yours, David? What's one of yours?
1: Okay, one of mine um, is... To So you, you can just have sports or games That they're good at Or they say they're good at And so you have them play that sport or game But then you have a really unfair referee Or you change the rules in the middle of it And you just kind of see how they adapt You
0: gaslight them? Or? Yeah, you
1: ga- yeah, yeah, you gaslight them How they adapt to a situation where the rules Something they think they're competent at And the rules have completely <laughs> I think that happened to
0: the entire Republican field this year <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's true they, It's absolutely true
2: that's like that trick of. Didn't do did we talk about this? I can't remember uh, where you invite a job candidate to breakfast and then tell the waiter to mess up their order and see how they deal with it.
0: Yeah, David's actually the one, a person who hires people. So you probably do these
1: kinds of things. Not that. That's not a good one. Th- not that. She's, <laughs> you Like that. One? What? What? Do you, Emily, do you have one?
2: Yeah. So. Mine is a little half-baked. But one of the things that bothers me the most in this season is ha- the stock phrases that the candidates repeat over and over again as a way of shielding themselves <laughs> so from actually saying anything.
0: You'd have them play taboo?
2: So, yeah. So <laughs> I would have to do some, you know, word cloud analysis to figure out what the 10 to 15 crutches in their vocabulary are. and t- And then make them go on, not tell them in advance which ones you're taking away, but take them away and then make them have a debate without them.
0: And what would that surface? What would, what skill would that...
2: Well, I hope what it would surface is actually what they thought about these issues right. and the way that, right? It's like if you're forced to explain yourself clearly right. and not use jargon, then you have to actually give see, some see, context. See, my,
1: my, I think that's a very clever idea. I guess my my beef with the whole premise is that I fundamentally i think that the job of being president is not the job of talking about being president and that what you want is testing is things that test your ability to actually Do work something under as pressure to speak. in the yeah
2: right my idea is more like dealing with the inanity of the campaign and then i suppose the bully pulpit part of you right
0: remember when we did the locked room game that was a good yeah. so oh, have yeah. any of you ever done one of these locked room games i mean yeah that's so it's, it, tell the tell well, the audience so the what
1: the, the premise of a locked room is, is you're locked in a A room with (laughs) with some group of people, and they might be friends, they might be people you don't know, and you have to solve, you figure out how to get out, and by solving there are all these puzzles, puzzles, and you don't even know what the puzzles are to get out. Yeah, that that's because that requires
0: you have to take leadership, you also have to delegate, you also have to trust other people. And then you have to act. Right. And, uh, and if you that were seems right. like a pretty good... If you were good... having
2: to think about how you were behaving the whole time. And there's sort of no way to be entirely neutral in that, right? Because if you're just standing back you have, and you're not you're... taking control, that could be... right.
0: Although you could lead from behind. The... So... I had a conversation with some of the people on my Facebook page about this several weeks ago, and one of them, whose name is Matt Dick, suggested, have a large number of very diverse set of word problems and then a portfolio of resumes and have the candidate match up the resumes to the word problems.
2: Wait, I don't get it. So each of the people in the stack of resumes wrote would be, one of the word no, problems?
0: No, would, would be assigned one of the word problems. Oh. So your ability to judge talent and then deploy the talent in solving the problem.
2: Wow, that's hard.
1: All right, here are a couple other ones that I had. One is you come up with something, might be an obstacle course, some game which requires the sacrifice of one or more people who are participate, who are on your team. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, Do you they have are to just also,
2: g- like, eat them?
1: You don't, no, they don't actually die, but you have to, like, they just don't get to finish it. They don't complete. They don't get the reward. And just watching how is it that this person handles a situation where they know they have to sacrifice somebody. Um, and so would they one. say
0: you're fired when they get sacrificed?
1: Yeah. But, but that—I mean—you learned a lot about Donald Trump from how much pleasure he takes in that. Another one I had was instead of having so when they do presidential debates, the presidential debate rules are worked out by flunkies in some room with, with John Dickerson. Pizza no, campaign flunkies or campaign flunkies are assigned to go meet with John Dickerson or John's boss and work out the rules of the debate. What about the? Instead of the debate itself would be sort of almost uninteresting, but the two candidates themselves are filmed negotiating their terms yes. of their debate. Just watch them sort of work out how are we going to set up a debate and sort of see how they do when they have to talk to each other and negotiate with each other. Um, Another one I had, sorry, one more, is cook a Thanksgiving dinner. You watch somebody cook Thanksgiving dinner. Like, I think that's a pretty masterful And they can't cat. just,
2: like, put the turkey in the oven. They have to do all the side. They have well, to they make as delegate. many pies they could delegate as your it. mom. They could,
1: they could, no, they can decide. They, they could delegate it. They could say, I'm going to just go buy it. I don't really care. They could... Uh, You know, involve the family. It could be really social. I think I learned a lot. I I don't think Mitt Romney cooked Thanksgiving dinner in that Mitt Romney documentary, but you learned so much about Mitt Romney from watching him interact with With his family family. and how good he was in those kind of social dynamics that made you think, like, shit, that guy would have been an okay president.
2: Well, why? Why does that seem like it matters? Because as you pointed out, Trump has excellent seeming relationships. No, no,
1: it wasn't the relationship part of it, it was the kind of.
2: The managing of the, the managing city, of that it? stuff, the, the, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Jeff Elrod suggests
0: you're given utter autonomy over a piece of land the size of Kansas and with similar natural resources. What are the first 25 laws you pass?
2: I don't like the utter autonomy idea because then it's like you're a monarch. I was thinking that maybe you have to come in as a city manager in like a mid-level city and just deal for a year with whatever comes your way. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but how like, does that approximate what? what you do as a president?
2: I'm not sure, but I think <laughs> yeah. it, would, it would give insight Emily into how you. you it would be so, like the Parks and Rec auditions yeah. for, like, for the White House.
0: I think you should. I think one of the things they should have to do is come up with an answer to this question, because, it, and and then explain why whatever test they came up with for a candidate was important to but the job. But somehow they should
2: have to do it in the spur of the moment. Well, we yeah, should,
0: you wouldn't. Yeah.
2: Maybe you should ask at your next debate. If yeah, you
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the problem with these kinds of questions is they... Uh, they just spin off. They don't... Do they, you want them to say, oh, that's an interesting question. Let me wrestle with that out loud right. and but show you how my won't. mind works. Instead, but say, they are
1: trained to do everything but that.
0: Let me tell you about... No.
1: Yeah. Um, do you have any other ones, Emily?
0: What about
2: swimming? That always seems like something we should be checking for. <laughs> hmm.
1: <laughs> I would not be president if that were the... know
2: how to swim basic swimming
1: I (laughs) feel (laughs) like
2: no I'm serious I think well a lot of yours had to do (laughs) several of your ideas had to do with physical discomfort of some kind or physical (laughs) watching of some kind watching someone you know even just getting into the pool it's like (laughs) uh
1: well but actually that you're on to something. I think Emily's onto something. It's in the tall it wouldn't woods. be swimming, but it would be how do they go into a pool. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. How do you go into a pool? Yeah.
2: If there are other people around, all yeah. that. that you
1: bet like, Bill Clinton probably like cannonballed, like crazy. Right, Bill exactly. Clinton was like, Boom. I
2: think you would learn something. Right.
1: Do you think Barack Obama's like a really elegant Barack guy, Obama like,
2: like puts like, out oof. his cigarette on the
1: side. Yeah. Are we still doing a, a
0: show?
1: <laughs> All right, let's let's wrap that topic. Yeah. That was fun.
0: Yes, yeah, get a tell. Okay,
1: now let's hear from our other sponsor this week, which is ring. The doorbell rings. It could be a package being delivered or friends coming over for dinner, but it could also be the kind of unexpected visitor no one wants. A thief attempting a break-in. With over ninety-five percent of home break-ins happening during the day, it's important to make sure your home is secure. As a city dweller, you probably feel like you're constantly hearing about break-ins. And sometimes having a strong lock on your door just isn't enough. With the Ring video doorbell, you can see and speak to anyone at your door from anywhere in the world using your smartphone. Ring's advanced motion detection alerts you even if someone doesn't ring the doorbell. It's like caller ID for your home. Installing Ring takes minutes and it works with either your current wiring or a built-in rechargeable battery. Right now, get free expedited FedEx shipping when you go to ring.com slash GabFest. That's ring.com slash GabFest. With the Ring video doorbell, you're always home. Again, that's ring.com slash GabFest. Let's go to cocktail chatter. Emily, what do you have to chatter about?
2: My chatter comes from my actual cocktail today um, with a member of the audience who can correct me if I get it wrong. He is an analyst for an airline, and he was... So I was asking him whether it's in in my imagination that airlines are more and more asking if you are willing to get bumped off a flight. And he was saying that that is happening more, that actually they're trying to be more in tune with people's preferences. And so what my sister-in-law told me, she recently got an email before she even left for the airport, which just seems like such a better option if you're going to decide to get bumped, that you haven't even left your home yet. Um, and so the idea is to try to have a kind of silent auction that's not at the gate that gives people a chance. When you, Usually, I guess, when you check in, they'll ask you if you're willing to get bumped what your price is. They're trying to figure out the minimum they can pay to make sure that they're not overbooking. And the part of this that really surprised me was the percentage of people who cancel flights. So how many people think that 10% of people on a regular commercial flight cancel? They should. Give, you
0: should uh, signify your views
1: audibly.
2: Yes, Signified more more or
1: less than ten. Ten
2: percent or less. Yeah. How many people think it's twenty-five percent? How many people think it's more than twenty-five? So the answer apparently is that it's about 25% in the main cabin, which seemed really high to me that that many people actually don't show up for flights or cancel their flights. But in fact, apparently that is what the data shows, and that is why we are so often being asked if we are willing to wait. And um, I am totally in favor of giving people as much notice as possible before they make their um, commitment, and I bet that if they... Move more and more to the system of telling, giving us enough time before we leave the airport that the price would drop. So then that could be a win-win. That's my job.
1: John, what's your chatter?
0: Okay, so I'll do this quickly. So, uh, in the election of 1824, was a very contentious. Was a uh, first the earth cooled, then. So, Before the election of 1824 was the era of good feelings. There was no more partisan warfare. Everybody got along in 1824. It all went to hell. And the election was thrown into the House of Representatives. It came down in the end to a fight between John Adams and Andrew Jackson. So in this fight, Henry Clay ends up basically... Giving helping Adams get the presidency. Four days later, he's named Secretary of the State, and it's called the Corrupt Bargain. Jackson basically runs on it in 28 and gets elected as a result of the Corrupt Bargain. So the anger over this makes Bush v. Gore look like child's play. It was people were so hot about it, they fought duels. And I've become fascinated with duels and the, and the both... Crazy reasons for the duels, and also the extraordinary ways in which people wrote about these duels and so that's why uh, I was interested in this. two years after the corrupt bargain in eighteen twenty six John Randolph, a senator from Roanoke, Virginia, who uh, attacks Henry Clay over it on the on the um, floor of the Senate. John Randolph attacked everybody over everything. he was a very irritable fellow in part because it turned out he was racked with pain with constant stomach and bowel issues, including <laughs> chronic. Uh, issues, um, <laughs> for which he self-medicated with opium, but he said after a time, quote, there is nothing which left... Which issue
1: was it? Because I think opium, might like, compounds one of those issues, according to the ads I've been seeing. I
0: think that in, in, in his case, he did not wish for things to issue forth, oh. and therefore he would, would have been happy to be compounded, um, <laughs> Anyway, back to our story. So the duel, this is now reading from the New York Tribune. The duel was the immediate outcome of a harangue that Randolph delivered attacking President Adams and Secretary of State Clay. Clay was made Secretary of State as I mentioned. It has been described as quote probably the most blackardly speech ever heard in either branch of Congress. Randolph not only exhausted his large vocabulary in denouncing the two, of the leading two of the leading men of the nation, but he impoverished History and literature, all the way from Don Quixote to Shakespeare and Fielding, in his effort to express his feelings, he censured Clay's ancestors for bringing into the world, quote, this being so brilliant yet so corrupt, which, like a rotten mackerel in the moonlight, shined and stunk. (laughs) There were some things that a Kentuckian like Clay could not be expected to overlook. So, now they are met upon the field of duel, and I will now read to you from an account of that duel uh, from something called 30 Years in the Senate. Never in my judgment has the utter, unconditionally, an unconditional absurdity and folly of dueling been so perfectly demonstrated, as in the case before us. The two great men loved one another, even in the hour of meeting in mortal combat, but in the sudden fusion of political parties and in events which followed, they had become alienated, and nothing but the magic influence of pistols, strangely enough, could induce them to confess their love, either to themselves or to the world." Clay and Randolph prepared to meet and met in deadly strife, their hearts gushing, bursting even, with tenderest solicitude, each for the other's safety, that the Virginian, when told of the sleeping child and of the unconscious tranquility of the wife of his adversary, rejoined in tones as sweet as women's own, I shall do nothing on the morrow to disturb the sleep of the child or the repose of the mother. So Reynolds, having said all of this, uh, fired, prepared to fire his gun in the air, which those of you who've been to see or know about Hamilton know that was a part of that duel. But his um, gun, his pistol was on a hair trigger, so it fired into the ground, which um, then scared everybody, of course. Then they had to go forward with this duel that neither one of them wanted to go forward with, because, but because they were there with the loaded pistols and we had an afternoon to kill, they figured they'd just keep shooting at each other. <laughs> So they went through a few rounds, but fortunately, Clay was a terrible aim. And basically, because Randolph didn't want to shoot him, he kept missing him. I will tell you the final episode in the exchange of bullets. Uh, This is now from uh, Treasury of Southern Folklore. The eccentric descendant of Pocahontas, which in this case is Randolph, appeared on the ground in a huge mourning gown. This garment constituted such a vast circumference that the locality of the swarthy senator—that's Randolph— was at least a matter of very vague conjecture. (laughs) The parties exchanged shots, and the ball of Mr. Clay hit the center of the visible object, but Mr. Randolph was not there. (laughs) The latter, Mr. Randolph, had fired in the air, and immediately after the exchange of shots, he walked up to Mr. Clay, parted the folds of his gown, pointed to the hole where the bullet of the former had pierced his coat and in the shrillest tone of, the pierce, of his piercing voice exclaimed, Mr. Clay, you owe me a coat. <laughs> to which Mr. Clay replied in a voice of slow and solemn emphasis at the, time, at the same time pointing directly to Mr. Randolph's heart, Mr. Randolph, I thank God that I am no deeper in your debt. At which point the two men exchanged pleasantries and resumed their total cordial social <laughs> uh, relationship and were friends for the rest of their lives.
1: So, GapFest listeners know that I'm a big fan of uh, Ulysses S. Grant. Not maybe the most popular person to be a fan of down here, but but there was a a moment in his memoir that really stuck with me and uh, that concerned Georgia, and so I thought, well, we're going to Georgia, let me investigate it. So, um, who here knows that Atlanta was not the capital of Georgia in the Civil War? (laughs) So, uh, a few of you do know that, but not that many. Um, And the, the, so Atlanta was burned, but, and then Sherman was going to march to the sea, and the, but the purpose of Sherman's march to the sea, it had a, the the primary purpose was to take Atlanta's capital, which was a, a city called Milledgeville. It was not to go swimming. It was, it was not to go swimming. Milledgeville was the capital from 1804 to 1868. It is, like photos looking at, quite a lovely town. I haven't been there. But so Sherman wanted to capture it. And so, he, so in November 1864, he took his army, and they set off for Milledgeville. They were, you know, burning and looting and, and uh, driving all before them. Um, the governor fled. They get to the town. They pour molasses into the main church organ, uh, ruining the main church organ. That's another story. They burned the library. Um, but then there was this really awesome, curious event, which is just a single line in Grant's memoir, and then it turns out it, you know, there's a little bit more to it, which is that uh, a general, a, a, a union general named Judson Kirkpatrick, who was like a, a dissolute, um, uh, womanizing jerk, but he was head of Sherman's cavalry, decided to convene the legislature in the Georgia state capitol. So a Wisconsin and a New York regiment convened in the legislature, and they decided to hold a legislative session. And they had a debate, and they drank a ton, and they repealed Georgia's ordinance of secession at this uh, taking of the Capitol. And they they declared it to be highly indiscreet and a damned farce. And then they appointed a committee to enforce their new law, and that committee was (laughs) Sherman's army. And then they convened the session and went, left uh, Milledgeville the next day and, and uh, destroyed destroy the rest of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, you can still go visit the state capitol and and, and learn about that. Our intern is El Biscard Church. Faith Smith helped put this show together. Our producer is uh, Jocelyn Frank. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer for Panoply, the network that uh, the GabFest is a part of. You can check out the entire roster of Panoply shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Our Twitter feed is at SlateGabFest. Our show page is Slate.com slash GabFest. And our Facebook page is Facebook.com slash GabFest. Please subscribe to the GabFest and iTunes and leave a comment and rating. For Emily Bazelon and John Dickerson, I'm David Plotz. We'll be with you next week. Not in Atlanta, sadly. Thanks for coming.